continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with cops. Welcome back to Everything Just Changed. I am Bryce Hales, and I'm here with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are two pastors in the Western U.S., and we are seeking to help you navigate faithfulness to Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. And we're in season three of our podcast where we're asking the question, how do we receive rather than achieve our identity? Brad, great to, uh, great to see you today. Good to see you too, man. And yeah, so before we jump into what we told you last time we were going to be exploring, which is how do we receive that gospel identity, we wanted to actually make an ask. And we always put this at the end of the podcast, but let's be real. None of us actually listen to the end of the podcast where everyone is saying, you know, hey, please subscribe, like, and share this so that other people can benefit from it. So we're putting it at the beginning of the podcast. And We're really, really, really grateful for the feedback we've gotten, especially after this last week episode on how we traditionally and or uh, in a modern sense achieve our identity, as well as the roundtable discussion we had on deconstruction last time. So if that's been really helpful for you, please, uh, please subscribe, please share, please like and leave a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or whatever vehicle or medium you listen to us through. it's super helpful for people to find us and to experience this content and for us to actually learn and get some more of that feedback to understand how helpful this is and what is most helpful. So uh, please do so. Totally. There's, there's no marketing budget. There's no, there's no budget, <laughs> no. right? There's no anything. So this is just two guys who bought microphones. So hook us up. That'd be awesome. I mean, it's probably a little bit more than that, but yeah, it's not much more than that. (laughs) We just happen to have a pretty amazing designer and musician on staff, Danny Rankin, who did the music for us that we are previewing today, as well as the logo. And he's a really nice guy. And so it's helpful and it helps him out too. So as we jump into this, um, if you did not listen to last week's episode, we highly recommend you do so because that's where we laid out the difference between a traditional and modern identity and how we achieve it or how it is shaped and formed. And today, as we kind of build on that and the after kind of naming the challenges and problems or weaknesses of those approaches, we're going to jump into what does it mean to receive our identity and how how does that happen, especially from a gospel perspective? Just as a refresher, what is an identity? An identity is where we source our our significance, our personal existential security, our dignity, value, and worth. It's how we derive and and understand meaning in our kind of going through the world and and life in general. Right? It's it is a pretty significant and big category. Uh, So we talked about how that traditional and modern individual identities are formed. Uh, Traditionally, you are a, it's your community, family, or tribe that tells you how to live. And then if you live up to those ideals, the community will honor you. It is, it is a validation experience for modern or individualistic identities. It's the opposite. We, we look inside, we discover for ourselves who we want to be, and then we express that or broadcast that to the world. And so that's, that's especially the, the therapeutic man that, that Bryce talked about last time and, and the expressive individualism that, uh, as a label is being thrown around, around a lot lately. Um, but both of these are attempts to achieve that identity. Traditionally, it's 
can be achieved by living up to this external standard. Modern identity must be achieved by creating a standard for yourself and then living up to it. It's kind of postmodern, but it's not necessarily exclusively so. And so we talked about those problems, like we said, go back to that. But where we left off last time is that our Christian identity is neither modern nor traditional. So don't hear us as saying that a gospel identity is actually a return to something that we traditionally derived our identity from in the West. But for a long time, many Christians have probably believed that that traditional identity was the way to go and that your church experience, the Bible and church is, is the standard that we live up to. And that is how we derive that dignity, value, and worth. And that is being questioned significantly so in both good ways and problematic ways. And so what do we do with that? So Bryce, how about, how about kick us off by answering that question of, okay, what is a gospel identity in way, in a way that is distinct from the ways we were talking about? Yeah. So distinct from either traditional or individualistic identity. And by the way, I, I also think that it's important to say, I think Sometime post-1980, there was this shift from Christianity functionally operating out of a traditional identity to Christianity beginning to operate more out of a modern identity. And so Mm -hmm. when that happens, I, I don't follow Jesus just because it's the right thing to do, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. I follow Jesus now because he makes me feel good about myself by forgiving Mm -hmm. me for my sin. I think that's Mm -hmm. the result of the gospel, but that is different than a gospel identity and what we've seen in that time period over the last 40 years feels like in many ways the erosion of the foundation of Western evangelicalism because you can't hold on to Christian beliefs when the foundation of your identity has been eroded out from underneath. That's actually where we might have finished the last episode. So in contrast to both the modern and the traditional identity, the gospel identity is distinct. And so gospel identity is the only identity that is received and not achieved. Gospel identity is not connected to your performance. It's something that we receive from God, not something that we achieve based on what we do. And so in the modern and in the traditional um, identities, if you are living up to your ideals, then you're on top of the world. And when you're on top of the world, you're looking down on everyone else. And if you're failing to live up to your ideals, then you are crushed. And so your self-worth goes up and down depending on your performance. But in gospel identity, it's the only way to live where your identity is received, not achieved. uh, And so it's disconnected from your performance. The classic place, I think, to understand this is Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he did not sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What is that saying? I have this distinct memory from seminary, my professor saying, uh, Paul is bringing into the closest possible relationship Jesus and sin Hmm. without actually combining those two terms, right? So Jesus did not sin, but God made him to be sin. What Paul is saying is God treated Jesus as if he had sinned, as if he had done everything that we have done. As if he had achieved his identity in, in a sense, because ultimately that's what sin is, right? Is is our attempt to derive our dignity, value, and worth apart from God. And right. so that is what 
the atonement was needed for that he right. absorbed and exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. The thing that's true actually about the traditional identity is that we do need to live up to the law's demands, but we cannot do it. And so Jesus did it on our behalf. And yet the fact that Jesus did it on our behalf, God brings Jesus into the closest possible relationship with sin. So God treats Jesus as if he was sinful. Jesus didn't become sinful, but God treated him as if he was sinful. We don't become perfect, but God treats us as if we were perfect in Christ. The reason why this is so important is the problem with the traditional identity and not a gospel identity is a traditional identity is going to be culturally defined. And when it's culturally defined, if you don't fit within the culture and how that is defined, you don't have dignity, value, and worth. Everybody else can achieve and earn it because they have set the bar to whatever cultural metric they choose. But when that takes primacy over a gospel identity, it ends up either pushing out actively or implicitly alienating anyone who doesn't conform to a cultural standard. And mm -hmm. that's different from what, what Bryce just articulated in terms of what God's law is, because that is transcendent of culture. It is, it is something that is cosmic in its scope and is not narrowly defined as Western, European, white, yes. or, or, or even just like American evangelical. Yes. So gospel identity is received, not achieved. And the fact that it's received means two things. It means it's external and it is complete. So hmm. it's external, not in the sense that traditional identity is achieved. See, traditional identity is achieved by the individual based on ex conformity to an external standard. Unlike that, gospel identity is based on the performance of somebody external to yourself. It is based mm. on performance, but it's based on the performance of the one who is perfect on your behalf. Okay, so it's external. It's also complete. And I think this is unlike the modern identity, which it, it doesn't matter how great your past performance was in the modern identity, because you're only as good as your next screw up. Hmm. So you're riding the waves, the highs and the lows of your performance day in and day out. Unlike that, gospel identity is based on something that is already completed. It's already finished. Gospel identity is received, not achieved. The, the bottom line is gospel identity comes down to who validates your identity. So in the traditional identity, you look to your family, your tribe, whoever, to tell you that you're doing a good job. And it's very restrictive, but it's very stable, or at least it can be. If you're living up to your community's ideals, they honor you. It's a very stable identity. In the modern, the individualistic identity, you have to validate yourself, which is inherently unstable. But in gospel identity, hmm. God is the one who validates your dignity, value, and worth. Gospel identity is not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus' performance. And so if you are in Christ, whatever God says about Christ, he says about you. Just think about what does that mean, biblically speaking? So Genesis 1, God creates Adam and Eve in his own image. Gospel identity begins with you as reflecting the image of God. You have inherent dignity and value and worth because you were created in the image of God. But then it goes even beyond that. So Matthew 3, at Jesus' baptism, God the Father says about Jesus, this is my son who I love. I'm well pleased with him. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 
he says again, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I love this line. This is like one of my favorite lines in a, in a sermon. In the New Testament, there are only two places, as far as I can mm. tell, where you hear the audible voice of God the Father. And it's these two that I've just quoted, Jesus' baptism and Jesus' transfiguration right before he goes to the cross. And in both places, God the Father says the same thing. He says, this Mm. is my son who I love. The only time God the Father speaks, he says, I love this kid. (laughs) Mm. And if you are in Christ and your identity is based not on what you achieve, but on what you receive from him, then God is the one who ultimately looks at you and says, I love this kid. I heard somebody say this once. I actually heard Ray Cortez say this. If you're a parent and you go watch your kids play soccer, I spent a lot of time watching my kids play soccer pre-pandemic. And I don't go and watch those games because of the athletic prowess on display there, right? I go because like, I love my kids and I get a kick out of watching them try really hard. Sometimes they fail and sometimes they are great, but like I'm there because I love my kids and I get a kick out of them. And gospel identity is like being able to say, God gets a kick out of me. My wife started saying this to me before I would get up to preach on Sunday morning. God gets a kick out of you. He's not going, gosh, did he really like nail the landing? Was that like an 11 out of 10? Because he could have done that a little bit better, right? God's like watching me do whatever I am doing. Like I watch my kids going, man, I get a kick out of this guy. That's the sort of freedom that that comes from a gospel identity. What I love about that is we even have the language in our tradition and like our Presbyterian tribe that Jesus is the true and better Israel, right? He's the new Adam. That's that's Paul in Romans. He is that which we are unable to achieve on our own. And with this kind of great exchange, as C.S. Lewis would say, that you're describing the the implications of in that anytime Jesus looks at us, he sees his son and has that kind of affection for us. That is just replete throughout the Old Testament, creating the tension of the impossibility of an achieved identity through any means, because only Jesus, only God himself can achieve the satisfaction that the law demands. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get our dignity, value, and worth. And so what I love about this, Bryce, is when the church is referred to in the New Testament as both the bride of Christ and the body of Christ— you simultaneously have two different directions of God's love being expressed in two familial ways, right? One, Christ's love for his bride, which is adoring, and also the affection and cherishment of the father for the son, because if the church is the body of Christ, then we are his earthly presence in and with and through the Holy Spirit, that it is actually in and through the church, not just us as individuals, but the the, the institution of God's ordained community that is the church that we experience that in. Gospel identity is is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really good news. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get into some of the specifics of why in just a sec. One more thing about what gospel identity is, and I think this is so incredible and important to understand. Gospel identity assumes the reality of conversion. Now, I know that for some people, conversion is a bad word, and the idea that somebody should be converted is actually the problem with the world. I think another way to look at that is this, to say gospel identity provides the most stable platform for change imaginable. 
let me read a couple Bible verses, and then I'll explain what that means. Colossians 3, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, put off the old self, put on the new self. In Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What I'm trying to get at, there's probably a better way to say this than to say that gospel identity assumes conversion. But what I'm trying to get at is this. We live in this world that says, whatever is, is therefore good and valid Hmm. and should be taken as just great, right? If this is who I am, whatever I think or feel about who I am, therefore must be respected and validated. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. And the reality is every culture has a way of shaping our identities and it imposes that identity formation on you without asking permission. Right. So the fact that every person under the age of 45, let's say, believes if I feel this, therefore it's good. They believe that not because they reached that conclusion on their own. Right. They believe that because our culture has imposed this process of identity formation on them. And it has not asked permission to do that. Traditional identity says it doesn't matter who you think you are or how you feel about it. Just stuff your feelings and just be a good person like us. Modern identity says it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It's the opposite. We don't care what anybody else says. You better listen to your heart. You know, Stuff the people who disagree with you. Don't listen to them and do whatever makes you happy. And that's what it means to be an intelligent, well-adjusted, healthy, modern person. Both traditional and modern identities say that you have to take what is given, what your culture gives you, whether that standard is internal or external. Gospel identity says, no, you can look at yourself and say, there are things that are good about who I am, and there are things that I find within me that you know, scare me, that frighten me, that I wish were not true of me. Gospel identity says real life is far more complicated than the way that either the traditional or the modern identity approaches things. Our circumstances are too varied for like this one size fits all approach to identity. Our feelings, our emotions are too unstable to base our identity on. So do not be pressed into the identity formation mold that your culture gives you. Yeah, maybe another way of even thinking about that is that a traditional identity is derived from a very impersonal, uncaring reality. Modern identity is derived from a very subjective, merely personal reality. But a gospel identity is one where reality is a person. Yes. It, it is it is defined by a God who is whose very nature is not just the definition or the standard, but the source of steadfast love and faithfulness of grace. And when we are talking about receiving a gospel identity, I love the way actually uh, Dr. Esther Meek uh, describes it. She says that this is a us inviting the real. And when the real or mm. reality is goodness in every ultimate sense, apart from which we would have no definition of goodness, mm. that invitation is not only safe, it cannot help but have a transformative effect such that we are born again and a new creation. It is such a radical difference and distinction from anything we could achieve that 
it is a functionally new reality. That is, that is profoundly different uh, from modern or traditional ways of deriving yeah. our identity. I love the way Eugene Peterson in The Message translates Romans 12 to, he, he says it like this, he says, don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit hmm. into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops you what, uh, and develops well-formed mm, maturity that's good. in you. That's that's not something that a modern identity or a traditional identity. No, can it do. requires a lot more trust, which is a synonym for faith. <laughs> so it's the only stable foundation upon which real lasting change is possible. That's what a gospel identity is. It's re- it's received based on what God says about you instead of achieved based on your performance. So what's so great about a gospel identity? I think there's four things that I wanted to kind of communicate about. What's great about a gospel identity? Let me just say mm-hmm. what they are, and then we can talk about them a little more. So a gospel identity is a unique approach to humility and boldness. It's a, a unique approach to our emotions and desires. It is uniquely flexible in relation to people and cultures. And a gospel identity provides a unique approach to limits. Okay, so what does that mean? So uh, first, a unique approach to humility and boldness. This is like anybody who has ever heard anything Tim (laughs) Keller has said already understands this point. But if your identity is achieved, it's based on your performance, then you will be bold or even arrogant when you're doing well, and you will be humble or crushed when you're not doing well. But if your identity is received from God, then you can be simultaneously humble because you didn't really do anything to earn your status in the first place and bold because your status Hmm. is not ruined by failure. A totally unique approach to humility and boldness. It's also great because it provides a unique approach to our emotions and desires. So again, we're going to do like the compare and contrast thing a little bit here, but traditional identity basically says that individual emotions and desires are a problem because they get in the way of you doing what the group says that you should do. So you should just ignore your individual emotions and desires. Modern identity says, well, that is crazy and that's evil. So don't do that. (laughs) And modern identity really says you are your emotions. You are your desires to recognize a, a feeling within yourself and not give voice to it, not express it, is the greatest harm that you can do to yourself, which means you are controlled by your emotions and by your desires. You know, it's really interesting. I I feel like this point in particular was (laughs) recently very controversial and erupted on Twitter. I don't even remember the name of the pastor, but he made some kind of a comment that went viral around how empathy is sin. And you had one side of Twitter just hearing the word empathy and basically interpreting it through the lens or the definition of enmeshment. And they basically lost their minds that said like that any emotion or empathy in, in the way that you would define as enmeshment is absolutely sin. And like, what is the problem with this? Why is this controversial? And you had another side. So they're operating off of the, the traditional identity mindset that that feared mm-hmm. uh, empathy and it was an overcorrection from it, right? And then you had another mm-hmm. side that said like, this is everything that is wrong in the world is an inability to sit and listen and empathize. But 
there was an intensity and an outrage around that that frankly didn't try to demonstrate the very value it was expressing. It didn't give the benefit of the doubt. It it turned <laughs> empathy into a legalistic standard by which I have, uh, of course, achieved. But clearly this person has not. And so they are not, I don't owe them dignity, value, and worth. In many ways, our disembodiedness because of this pandemic and the anxiety that it just kind of mm -hmm. saturates everything with is both amplifying and exposing the deep, absolutely like toxic, societally problematic clash of these two approaches to identity. It's kind of killing us, honestly. This was a conversation that happened within the quote unquote evangelical church. This wasn't even a controversy between the church and the world. This is between Christians mm -hmm. who we're saying, right, we mm -hmm. should have a, a gospel received identity. That's terrifying. I mean, this is a great example, right? You've got one side saying empathy is not something you should strive for. The other side says, if you don't do that, I can't even talk to you because you're not as empathetic as I am, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah. so gospel identity mm -hmm. has a much more <laughs> nuanced approach yeah. to emotion and desire. So on the one hand, it says you are free from your emotions in the sense that you are not a slave to them. Your emotions don't dictate your outlook on life and your approach to it. At the same time, you can recognize feelings and desires within you that are unhealthy, that are harmful, that are sinful, that are less than what God calls you to. And you don't have to just say, well, I'm just going to chuck the Bible because it disagrees with the way that I feel. To connect that back to this this empathy thing, the fact that there is a definition of empathy and standard that is not subjective, is not merely human, it transcends whatever like whatever controversy we are we are in the thick of at this moment, that should, to bring it back to your your earlier point about humility and boldness, that should engender within us a humility that listens, but also a boldness that says, no, there is an objective standard. Mm -hmm. And kind of, in a sense, you're both wrong. We all need to learn this, again, humility. And let's start by listening first to God and also to each other. And that's a completely different posture. Even if it has some overlap with the conclusions of the content of both sides, it's a completely different posture. And that's why sometimes I feel like you can be on Twitter and you can read something from somebody and you're like, yeah, I agree with that. And then you get a little bit further and you see how that was in understood by other people. And you're oh, like, man. ah, that's actually not at all what I was getting at there. Um, <laughs> or you're like, man, you're saying this thing that I agree with so much, but you're being such a jerk. Like you're making this so much harder for me to agree with you, even though I really want to yeah. in terms of the content of what you're saying. Yeah. Gospel identity. I think that maybe the best way to understand this approach to emotions and desires is the way that Augustine talked about our rightly ordered loves or rightly ordered desires. So mm. if I recognize within myself a desire that is contrary to the Bible, the traditional identity says just ignore it. And the modern identity says, if you recognize within yourself a desire that's contrary to the Bible, then chuck the Bible. What, mm. what is this repressive document? The gospel identity says that it needs to be brought into its right place. Take, for example, where Paul in, in Romans 7 says the, the classic thing, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but mm. I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody who has ever lived understands that desire. I don't want to be the person who eats half a bag of potato chips at midnight. 
but I do that. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm pretty comfortable with that one. I, I would choose ice cream, but cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Traditional identity, I think, is prone towards hypocrisy because if I give in to my emotions and do something that I know I shouldn't do, then I'm going to be tempted mm. to hide that. Hmm. Modern identity is prone towards licentiousness. If I have a desire for something that the Bible forbids, then the problem is not in me, then the problem is in the Bible. Gospel identity provides a unique approach to our emotions and desires because it says, I can experience something within me that I actually believe Hmm. is wrong, and I can work against that and push back against that. Gospel identity is much more balanced. I mean, the Psalms are great for this. I I mentioned this, I think, the last time in the last episode, but Psalm 42 and 43, which was probably one Psalm initially, but has the, the, the refrain, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why are you in tumult within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist is is looking at himself and saying, I'm experiencing depression. Why Mm. are you so cast down, oh my soul? But he's not saying that is the end of the experience. He's saying, okay, I'm experiencing this, but I want to bring it into the presence of God in order to have it be transformed so that I can actually move beyond this experience, this feeling, this desire, this emotion that I have. Yeah, it's inviting the real. It is saying that there is an objective reality that defines me. It transcends my experience of that reality. And to invite the real is actually to embrace and to receive that which is offered, which is that objective definition of yourself that God in his goodness declares as true and is loving. And so to speak to your heart, what you're doing is you're actually placing your experience of reality, the authority for how, where that is defined, not in your heart. And you're actually inviting that authority to define your heart and to inform your experience of your own heart. You're inviting the one who gives you your identity to reshape your experience of yourself. You know, what's so interesting is the the language of identity is not, that word is not really in the Bible, right? It is an attempt to describe a reality that scripture also describes using other words and other terms, but it is one that is familiar in our culture and is really helpful for understanding salvation itself. But the righteousness that defines us in Christ now in ways that gets past the way that kind of maybe traditional forms of identity formation have kind of yes. twisted and not defined well. So this is a really refreshing and helpful way of understanding things that in many ways for a lot of evangelicals has kind of like lost its meaning or it's been perverted by either a traditional or modern understanding of identity. And this is helping us get back to that through a road or a path that is not so well-worn. Another psalm that I think speaks to the Psalm 51 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is a psalm that for a, a, a person with a traditional identity to pray that prayer, it's like a traumatic experience, right? It's like I've done something so awful that I actually have to go and repent. And God, just would you just start completely over with me again? A modern identity person wouldn't pray mm-hmm. that at all because whatever's in my heart is just good and therefore should be accepted as, as it mm-hmm. is on face value. But Uh, Psalm 51 is saying, David is saying here, I recognize something sinful, Mm. something dirty 
within me, God? Would you renew me? Would you reshape me? Would you, again, like what you're saying there, would you help me to enter more fully into reality? All right, we are going to hit pause on part one of our conversation on gospel identity right there. We will be back next week with the second half of this conversation where we'll talk about the last two reasons gospel identity is totally unique from either the modern or traditional identity. And then we'll talk about ways that gospel identity is actually strengthened as we live it out. So please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you won't miss that. I am Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our new theme music that you're hearing right now was recorded by the very talented Mr. Danny Rankin, who also designed our logo. We'll be back next week with the rest of this conversation, helping you navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world on everything just changed.